But as we look at these familiar words once again, we pray that you'll give us fresh eyes to see them. And help us to respond rightly to Jesus the King. For your praise and for your glory. Amen. Every year we herald the coming of Christmas by turning on the lights. And light does more than create a festive mood. Light brings hope. For Christians, Jesus is the light of the world. But we cannot celebrate his birth today in quite the usual way. Does anybody recognize uh, that quote? Is it in a different accent? No, not in a different accent. Posher tone, maybe. The Queen speaks last year. Uh, and most years the Queen uh, gives her speech and always gives that Christian hope uh, in her Christmas Day speech. And I love uh, that line, light brings hope. Isn't that what we've seen over these last few weeks as we've gone through our Christmas series? A light has dawned on those who dwell in darkness. Jesus came as a light of the world. We've seen uh, that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. He is the Christ. He is uh, the King. We saw that in that as we look through the genealogy. We saw it last week as we looked at those three names. The Messiah, Jesus, and Emmanuel, God with us. This baby that was born that very first Christmas is the one who brings light to dispel darkness and despair. He is God with us. And that's what makes Christmas so wonderful. So amazing, uh, when we sit and ponder, God, who made all things, came down and was veiled in flesh. But that very first Christmas, the Son of God left the glory of heaven and became like us. God with us. Lancelot Andrews was a preacher uh, in the late 1500s, early 1600s. And in one of his Christmas Day sermons, he spoke of the wonder and the amazement of the incarnation. There lieth he, the Lord of glory without all glory. Instead of a palace, a poor stable. Instead of a cradle of state, a beast crouching. No pillow but a lock of hay. No hangings but dust and cobwebs. No attendance, but in the midst of animals. The Lord of glory that came to the earth and was born as man. It's amazing when we sit and ponder at what Christmas is all about. But that baby in the manger didn't stay a baby. He grew up into the man Jesus who did those amazing things, who healed people, who spoke with great authority, who then died on that cross. So the good news of Christmas doesn't stop at Christmas in the manger. It goes on to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why Christmas is good news for all people. Jesus is good news for all people. And again this morning we see the nations, the outsiders, uh, those non-Jews come and find Jesus who is good news for all people. 
And so in that manger, that very first Christmas, the King is there. Jesus, the King, is there. And it matters how we respond to him. And so this morning there are three responses that I want us to see in Matthew chapter 2. And that first response that we see is half-heartedness. Matthew begins, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So we're told that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the royal city. Again, we have those links uh, that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. His king is here and he was born during the reign of another king. King Herod or Herod the Great. Uh, and while Herod did some great things to, to get that title, one of the things being building the temple in Jerusalem, he was also a bloodthirsty tyrant. This is what he was like. He knew that when he died, nobody would mourn his death. So he uh, rounded up a group of prisoners, put them in prison, and gave the order that when he died, to have them killed, so that he knew that in that town, people would mourn, uh, not necessarily for his death, but there would be mourning in that town. That's the kind of man Herod was, and as we move through chapter 2 next week, that uh, we see again what kind of person Herod the Great was, as he ordered the slaughter of all uh, those boys under the age of two. But it was during that time where Herod the Great was reigning, Jesus was born, that we have these wise men travel uh, from the east to find this uh, child-born king of the Jews. These magi come, these Gentiles, these uh, non-Jews, they are coming to find Jesus, the king, in order to worship him. They had seen this star, and so they had uh, gone to Jerusalem the city to find out where this king was and so they're going around and asking and trying to find out where is uh, this king and I, I love that I love the way the question is phrased it's, they're not asking where is the one who is born to be king they're asking where is the one born king Jesus is king that's who he is not what he will become there in Bethlehem. So news had spread as the Magi come around the city trying to find out where is this child born king of the Jews? Uh, and word had got back uh, to Herod uh, who was disturbed, he was troubled by this, so he called in the scribes, uh, the religious leaders, to ask them, the chief priests. Uh, and this was their reply in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And so they go back uh, to the scriptures. They know the scriptures. They're the teachers of the law, they're the chief priests, of course, they know what the scriptures say, and they give this prophecy from Micah. And this one who will come, this Messiah, this King of the Jew, will be a ruler and a shepherd. And so we know from other parts of, of scripture, we know from Jesus himself, as he says, I am the good shepherd. And we think back to 
a place like Psalm 23, that God is that, that good shepherd who cares and protects his people. But he is also king. He's the ruler. He has all authority over all things. And so Jesus is the shepherd king. And they know that. They know the Messiah will be the shepherd king. But what response do we get from the chief priests and the teachers of the law? Well, they give the answer, and that's it. I, I think that's so, so surprising from them. They know where the Messiah has been born. And there's rumors going all across the city that these wise men have come to find the one born king of the Jews, the Messiah. And what do they do? They give the answer and do nothing. You'd think, at the very least, they would go and check it out with the wise men. Let's go with them and see if it is true that God's Messiah that we've waited so long for is finally here. Yet, they do nothing. Which is quite astonishing, isn't it? For the, for the leaders, for the chief priests, for the teachers of the law to know where he's born. They hear the rumours and they do nothing. There's no passion, there's no desire to go and see if this is the Messiah. If the Saviour is finally here. It's like, it, it's like my kids, when I say, come and look at this, or look at this, I'm, and I'm really excited about it, whatever it is. And they come and they're like, whatever, whatever, I'm not bothered. There's just no urgency or excitement that the Messiah might be here. And they do nothing. And there are so many people that are like that in our world today. They know about Jesus. They know that he was born in Bethlehem, that his mother was Mary, that he grew up and did these uh, wonderful things that he taught in such a way that we've got it written down and it's lasted for all uh, these years. They know that he probably died on a cross or maybe even rose from the dead. And that's it. They don't care enough to go any further uh, than that. That they're happy as they are. And that's what we get with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're happy. They're not really bothered if it's the Messiah or not. They're just happy to be and carry on doing uh, what they do. And there are churches filled with people like that, who know all about Jesus, but it makes no difference to their lives. There's a second response that we see, and that is a response of hostility. And that mainly comes from uh, Herod. He's threatened by Jesus. Herod was uh, put in by the Romans. He wasn't a Jew himself. Um, but he was there. But he wasn't the rightful ruler of the Jewish people. And so he was threatened that his throne would be taken away if this child that has been born really is the king. If he really is a descendant of David, then he is the rightful ruler. And so he speaks with the Magi, with the wise men. At verse 8, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me. 
so I can go and worship him too. Herod had no intention of going worshiping Jesus. We can uh, make a, a very good guess that if he found out where Jesus was, he would go and kill him. He'd get rid of him. He wasn't going to give up his throne without a fight. We read it further on. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. There's that hostility, threatening, and so that's the way he responds. And we read the Gospels and we see that hostility towards Jesus continue as we read those Gospels and we can go throughout church history and see the hostility towards Christ and his church and his people. We can pick up those books and see the persecution the church has faced. And Jesus said that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Beginning uh, of Fox's book of martyrs, he says, The history of the church may almost be said to be a history of the trials and sufferings of its members as experienced at the hands of wicked men. A response to Jesus and his people is hostility. And we're seeing that increasing hostility towards God's people in this country. We're seeing it more and more. We uh, can look out into our world and see in other countries severe hostility and persecution towards uh, God's people. We can even see it in our families, the hostility towards us because of our faith and our changed life in Jesus. That's the second response, hostility towards King Jesus. And then finally we get to this third response of honour. Verse 9, the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. The response of the Magi, the wise men, however many there were, when they found Jesus, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They honoured the king. They went seeking the king and when they found him, they bowed down and worshipped King Jesus. What a response they gave to the they saw Jesus, they saw who he is, and they worshipped the king. They had travelled miles and miles and miles to find this king. We're not exactly sure where they came from, Babylon or other places, but let's say it's somewhere like that. 800 miles to travel. Let's say they travelled on camels or something like that. The journey was hard, it was dangerous, yet they went out seeking the king. 
And when they found him, after this long and dangerous journey, they bowed down and they worshipped him. Their hearts were set on finding the king. And they find him, they're filled with joy and they worship the king. One commentator says worship is the proper response of all moral, sentinel, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honour and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully, so. Jesus is worthy of our worship, of our honour. So our response should be one where we bow down and worship the King. When we see Jesus for who he is, for what he has done for us, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, that he became God with us, that he died on that cross as our Saviour, our response should be to bow down and worship the King. To worship is to treasure Jesus above all other things. He is worthy of our worship and of our honour. And we're to delight in the King. And the Magi showed that as they gave these gifts. They gave this, these gifts of gold, frankincense, uh, and of men. Gold may be symbolizing uh, the kingship of Jesus. Mare, incense, frankincense, uh, maybe symbolizing uh, God with us. And then we've got this mare that was used uh, for those who had died, and, and maybe that's a symbol of his death. But they laid their treasures uh, before Jesus because they treasured Jesus above all other things. They bowed down and they worshipped him. When we see uh, Jesus for who he is, when we treasure him above all other things, we can say with the Apostle Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So this Christmas, as we remember and read these stories once again, let's not forget who Jesus is, that he is King, let's respond to him uh, rightly as king as we bow down and worship him and treasure him above all other things the gospel of matthew begins with the nations coming uh, to jesus and the gospel of matthew ends with jesus saying go to the nations and make disciples and so let's be ready this christmas to go and make disciples to share the good news of Jesus and pray that people will bow down and worship him just as the Magi did back then. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our shepherd king. Thank you for his love for us that he left the glory of heaven. That he was born of that first Christmas that he grew up and died on that cross to bring forgiveness of our sins 
Thank you that you rose to life. Give us that certain hope of eternal life. And Father, this Christmas we pray that people will see and recognise who Jesus is. And that they will respond to him as the Magi did. In bowing down and worshipping him. Help us, Lord, to treasure Jesus above all other things. In his name we pray. Amen.